In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, Evolution Myths, a critical view of neo-Darwinism. They've neglected the fact that Pasteur has completely disproven the idea of spontaneous generation. They've given it a new name. They call it abiogenesis. And then they say that life came about 3.5 billion years ago and that it was very simple. Well, it wasn't very simple. Hey there, I'm hard at work on another edition of Inner Sanctum, my free monthly newsletter. Inner Sanctum features my monthly brief, a column of my thoughts and opinions on what's happening in the world. It features a spotlight on a past guest, a look ahead to an upcoming episode of my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show. It features a look at this month in conspiracy and UFO history and my Conspiracy Unlimited podcast episode pick of the month and so much more. To get your free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, delivered to your email inbox, just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on Inner Sanctum and register. It's fast, easy, and again, absolutely free. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. 
Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. I hope you're doing well. And I hope if you're staying up late tonight, really late, you'll tune in to Coast to Coast AM. I'm sitting in for George Norrie tonight and hosting again Saturday night into Sunday morning. Go to coasttocoastam.com for more information and to find a Coast affiliate near you. coasttocoastam.com. Today, evolutionary theory is ubiquitous in our secular education system. In his book, Evolution Myths, Jeffrey K. Lyons offers a critical view of neo-Darwinism, which is the dominant dogma throughout secular higher education and kindergarten to grade 12 public education. Lyons argues evolution is no longer a biological theory. It permeates the natural sciences, social sciences, and philosophy. It's become a meta-theory. Whenever scientific data are absent, both natural and social scientists resort to narrative as a superglue, he argues. Jeffrey Lyons is a graduate of University of Hawaii at Manoa and Regent University, where he earned a PhD in communication. He's taught at Hawaii's Pacific University, Argosy University, Honolulu, and Honolulu Community College. He's published articles in the Global Media Journal, Journal of Radio and Audio Media, and the Hawaiian Journal of History. Again, he is the author of Evolution Myths, a critical view of neo-Darwinism. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Well, thank you. I'm, I'm very glad to be here, and uh, I'm doing great, Richard. It's been a while since we talked. What's new? Well, um, I went through a bout of uh, cancer um, diagnosis and treatment, but the cancer is gone, so I'm back in the saddle and very thankful, very thankful to be alive. Thank God everything turned out. For those not familiar with you, just give us your bona fides in this area, if you would. Uh, yeah, so um, I wrote a book called Evolution Myths, A Critical View of Neo-Darwinism. And uh, th there's a short video that I did on, on YouTube that explains a bit of, more about my background. But basically, uh, I have a PhD in communication, and I've taught at the university level for 10 years. And my thesis is that uh, evolution is, uh, even, even though it's touted as a scientific theory, it's really more of a scientific storytelling um, because the evidence just is not there to support it. Um, so that is why I have looked at it critically because uh, storytelling and uh, rhetoric is something that falls right into the lap of communication. And that's where my field of study is primarily. So I guess it was or has been or is touted as a biological theory. You also, I think, refer to it as a meta-theory. What does that mean? Meta-theory is um, a fancy way of saying it's a theory of theories. And so um, the, the, what, I, what I postulate is that uh, evolution is, is really not a biological theory. You can find it in um, all sorts of fields. You can find evolutionary psychology, you can find evolutionary um, uh, influence in astronomy, um, and uh, it, it's it's all over the place. So, meta theory is a theory of theories. It's, um, but to put it more plainly, um, I would suggest that meta uh, that evolution has become an origin story, and in every major culture everywhere on the face of the earth, you're always gonna find stories of origin. 
how did we get here? Why are we here? Who, are, who created us? And so uh, that's where I place evolution as a meta theory or an origin story. I'd like to do a couple more definitions if I could. And when we're talking about Charles Darwin, was he talking about micro or macro evolution? And then maybe you could explain the difference. Well, microevolution um, has to do with the changes uh, on a smaller scale. Um, uh, you know, um, for instance, uh, there are many, many, many different types of dogs, but they're all dogs. And uh, so that's a good example of mic microevolution. Um, macroevolution is this idea that something can change um, in, a, in, a, in a major way, a major way that over time uh, we have all of the various uh, life forms that we see on earth and that they all came from a simpler form in the past. So that's basically what uh, uh, macroevolution would be. So when, he, when Darwin was observing and studying finches in the Galapagos Islands, he was talking about microevolution, adaptation, natural selection, that type of thing. Yeah, and I don't think even the terms micro and macroevolution had even uh, come into use um, at that time. But um, we could put it in that category. Yeah, that was that was microevolution. Although he he did talk about all life coming from a simpler form, he did talk about that also, and that would have been macroevolution. But it's just as those terms hadn't been created yet. Right, right. You also talk about uh, evolution as being, um, you know, or, or there being such large gaps in the science behind evolution and that they use narr the narrative or a narrative as super glue to hold it all together. What do you mean by that? Exactly. There are, there are enormous gaps. And um, really what, what Darwin does is he kind of picks it up from the period of the Cambrian, uh, Cambrian explosion, um, uh, the time of the dinosaurs and so forth, and, and moves forward. He didn't know about um, microbiology. Um, the, the, the electron microscope had not been invented yet. And so there was so much that he didn't know about. He didn't know about DNA. Uh, he didn't know about a cell. In fact, it Darwin's time, they thought a cell was something very simple. And what they've discovered today is that the, a modern cell is, uh, is so complex um, that it makes a Saturn V rocket look like a, a child's toy made out of Legos. It, it, it's just uh, beyond complexity, uh, beyond our understanding. Nobody's ever been able to create a single cell. So let's talk about some of the gaps you say that are held together like superglue using narrative, and that is the, the very origin of life itself on Earth. Um, so in other words, evolutionists argue that there was nothing, and then from nothing, life began. Uh, exactly. Abiogenesis, or spontaneous. Yes, or abiogenesis, spontaneous generation. And, and what's so interesting um, about this term is that terms change. Scientists use different terms, but there was this idea of spontaneous generation, but it was disproven by Pasteur, Louis Pasteur, and back in 
59. But then this new term came about, abiogenesis, which essentially is the same thing. It's life coming from non-life. So when, when you look it up, uh, this is from Britannica, it just says abiogenesis is the idea that life arose from non-life more than 3.5 billion years ago on Earth. Um, abiogenesis proposes first life forms generated were very simple through a gradual process, became more complex. Well, here's, here's that storytelling I was, I was talking to you about. Um, first, um, they've neglected the fact that Pasteur has completely disproven the idea of spontaneous generation. They've given it a new name. They call it abiogenesis. And then they say that, um, that life came about 3.5 billion years ago and that it was very simple. Well, it wasn't very simple. And we can dive into that a bit more and find out how complex a, a cell is. Right. Even if it's a single cell organism, that one cell, as you, as you point out, would be incredibly uh, complex. And then we have to talk about, you know, irreducible complexity and things like that. But first, let me just back up. How did Louis Pasteur disprove spontaneous generation? Uh, he did it with a brilliant experiment. He, he boiled beef, beef broth and he, he distilled it. And then, uh, he sh he uh, let it sit for a long period of time, and and it stayed it stayed pure, it stayed pure, and then he cut the top off the off the top of the bottle uh, after a period of time, and then and then the water changed and it became contaminated. Of course, it was um, microbiomes that we can't see in the atmosphere that that went into the water, um, but um, he he proved that distilled water or distilled beef broth, if it's isolated, if it's not exposed to the rest of the environment, it will, it will not discolor at all. And the experiment can still be repeated today and it can be easily looked up online. But that, doesn't that mean, or wasn't he referring to a completely closed system? I mean, we're floating here in outer space. What about uh, comets and asteroids and, and things like that? Couldn't I mean, I guess that's not abiogenesis, but it, it could explain how life began, uh, some sort of organic material on an asteroid or something. Yeah, and uh, uh, astro, astrobiologists talk about that. Uh, there is a theory out there called panspermia, which says that, um, you know, could uh, certain uh, amino acids or, or life, uh, giving uh, materials have come on asteroids from outer space. So that, that theory is floated out there also, this, the theory of panspermia, but it's never been proven. It, again, it's, it's, it's a nice story, but it's, it's, there's no evidence to back it up, um, and there's no um, scientific proof that, that that is the case. So let's assume that there was an incident of abiogenesis and a, a single-celled amoeba or whatever it was was formed. And they say, well, that was very simple life. But as you point out, a single cell is unimaginably complex. Uh, so, so talk to me about that some more. And, and I guess we'd, we'd probably then get into irreducible complexity at that point. Well, yeah, the single cell is incredibly complex. Uh, and in fact, um, 
it's it's made up of something called amino acids. Okay, the amino acids uh, are the building blocks of proteins. Um, and uh, if you remember, there were Miller and Urey did a, a experiment back in 1953. They tried to create uh, the atmosphere of, of Earth so many billion years ago, and uh, uh, the uh, they bombarded it with electricity, and they uh, yielded four amino acids. And then they got a lot of press that you know life was created in the uh, test tube, but it wasn't. What they created was four amino acids. You need 20 to make a, uh, uh, a protein. So, you know, I, I asked the question, can you build a car with 20% of the parts? Well, you can't. But even more interesting is that amino acids twist. All 20 of them except one, they twist like a corkscrew. And they can either twist to the left or to the right when you create them. That's the principle of chirality. Every chemist at every university knows this. Every freshman uh, or sophomore chemistry student learns this, but they don't talk to the people in the biology department. So not all amino acids are the same. Half of the amino acids that were created in Miller-Urey's experiment would kill life, would absolutely be fatal. Because every this, this is amazing. Every single um, amino acid, uh, it, they're chiral, except for one. So 19 out of 20, and they all twist to the left. So imagine this. Imagine this, Richard. Flipping a coin the amount of times of every cell on the face of the earth and always getting heads. And now ask yourself, is that random? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, things that make you think it's not, it's not, it, you know. Um, as so Miller and Urate, they couldn't create life. They couldn't, uh, and, and the other thing is they couldn't create DNA. DNA is the code in the cell. Uh, it's like computer software. And it's DNA tells the cell how to make all the diff different parts of the cell. We don't have time to talk about all the different parts of the cell. But there are many, 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 many parts involved. Um, so um, here's the thing. Look at this. The code and DNA, there are three billion, not million, billion base pairs in each human cell. Okay, now a human cell is far more complex um, than uh, a prokaryote. I'll explain uh, in, in time the difference between prokaryotes and, and eukaryotes because not all cells are created equal. But um, again, you have the question, who programmed, or how did this get programmed? Three billion base pairs in the human DNA. And science has no answer. They just have stories. Hmm. In fact, I think uh, you quote a number of scientists uh, who have concluded that DNA is not, did not evolve naturally, that there again must be a designer. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, Francis Crick, who discovered uh, 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 DNA, he said that the very first unifying principle of biochemistry is that the key molecules, those are the amino acids that we just talked about, they have the same hand in organisms, and that's the left-handed. Um, it, it, it twists 
to the left. So it, this can easily be looked up. If you look, if you put the word chirality into a, your browser and then Forbes, Forbes magazine, there was an article about it uh, many years ago, but it, it's in scientific journals also. I'm just referring to a, a something that's common. But, it, but uh, this is very, very, very well known. Are you saying that God was or is a southpaw? <laughs> <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, um, they, they use that, the word handed um, uh, for, um, chiral means handed. And and so, uh, but but the easier way to think of it is just to think of a corkscrew, which you use to uh, uh, take a cork out of a bottle. Um, you you twist it to the right generally, um, but the uh, the twist uh, in the amino acids is to the left. Yeah, it's to the left in every single cell. So if if there was an incident of abiogenesis, that means that every living thing on the planet has one common ancestor uh, have we been able to discover what that was yeah well that one uncommon ancestor um, is uh, referred to as uh, Luca uh, the last universal common ancestor okay but it's never been discovered it's purely um, theoretical no one knows what it is. Now, um, scientists are, are in agreement that the oldest form of life that has ever been discovered in, um, in, uh, in, in fossilized form is bacteria. And they talk about, well, it was 3.5 billion years ago or 3.7. Um, okay, it was a long time ago. Um, but here's the amazing thing. The bacteria that they've discovered um, looks just like bacteria today. It, it hasn't changed. This is absolutely remarkable. But in terms of have they ever discovered the actual last universal common ancestor? Um, no, not really. I suppose bacteria would be the closest thing they've, they've found. But uh, again, they'd, they don't know because no one was there. Um, uh, what's interesting is that this whole idea of uh, development of life from from a single form, okay, that's that's called phylogeny, okay. Uh, it's also referred to as the tree of life. You know that diagram we've all seen in high school, where there's something simple, and then out of that comes all these different forms of life, and it branches out, right, and you get. Right birds and trees and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's the, that's phylogeny or the tree of life. But look at this. This is so interesting. Ernst Mayer, the um, evolutionary biologist, he wrote a book called What Evolution Is. I quote from his book extensively in my book, um, Evolution Myths. Um, Ernst Mayer says this, the inferred lines of descent of a group of organisms. This is the definition of phylogeny. Inferred, I-N-F-E-R-R-E-D, inferred lines of descent of a group of organisms, including reconstruction of the common ancestor, that's the LUCA, and the amount of divergence of the various branches. In other words, it's a story, uh, Richard. It's only inferred. 
we, we think it's true. We hope it's true. It's inferred, but they don't really know. They don't really know. They, it, it cannot be observed, number one, and it cannot be repeated and, uh, and, and observed uh, one form changing into another. It never has been. So, uh, again, we have a story. We, we really don't have something that can be scientifically proven at all. More of my conversation with Jeffrey K. Lyons when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Let's say hello to Colleen Forgus, our nutritional therapist and the manager at our Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary. Hello once again, Colleen. How are you doing? Hello, Richard. I'm great. How about you? Truth be told, a little bit of muscle pain. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've started walking and just a little, uh, you know, typical muscle pain. What do we have? My favorite product is called Intenzyme Forte by Biotics Research. And I actually take this one every day. I love it. It's a broad spectrum proteolytic enzyme. It's designed to reduce inflammation throughout the body. It helps with muscle pain, especially when we've had a little too much exertion. It supports hormone processing, digestion, immune function, and even circulation throughout the body. Fantastic. Intenzyme Forte. All right, Colleen, we'll talk again soon. Take care, Richard. Talk to you soon. To get your Intenzyme Forte, go to strangeplanet.ca, then click on the Full Script Dispensary button. Remember, all orders receive 10% off, and orders of $50 or more ship absolutely free. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Jeffrey K. Lyons, the author of Evolution Myths, is here. I guess the idea, according to evolution, is that we all, everything, evolves from germs. Is that right? The higher forms of life evolved from germs. I'm not sure if it would be fair to call bacteria germs because um, bacteria can also um, uh, be sort of like plants. It can, they can do photosynthesis. In fact, uh, the oxygen on Earth, all of the oxygen that we breathe is attributed to single-celled bacteria, which could do photosynthesis, also referred to as blue-green algae. 
So um, there is something else called a virus, but a virus is not necessarily alive. Um, we don't really have time to get no. into viruses, but they're they're very strange. They they have to live off of other um, uh, other things that can reproduce um, uh, without that. Uh, uh, connection with something else that's alive viruses okay. die okay so bacteria then we we all evolved from bacteria right. now this may sound like a really dumb question but i i tend to ask them sometimes uh if if we evolved from bacteria why is there still bacteria wouldn't have all the bacteria have evolved into something else and then that would be the end of that's bacteria a, that's a brilliant question why is the bacteria still around? Why does it look just like modern bacteria today? In fact, they've even um, found frozen in Canada, in the shale, um, bacteria which was tens of thousands of years old and uh, thought it out and it came back to life. Um, this, is, this was uh, not something they were looking for. These were, they were drilling for oil up in Canada, and it's documented in my book, and I can give you uh, more details, but um, isn't that amazing how stable bacteria are? Uh, over over tens, tens of thousands of years, and then it comes back to life. Yeah. Right, and I would assume that, you know, there are types of bacteria that have very, very short lifespans, maybe even just hours or days, and so presumably you could, you could study thousands and thousands of generations of bacteria and you would expect to see a change i would think if they're in fact evolving yeah that's 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 the amazing thing and and what happens is that the bacteria even though they change into different types of bacteria like dogs there's many different types of dogs the bacteria never change into something else the bacteria remain bacteria and this is, this is where we get into the conversation about prokaryotes and eukaryotes. Now, those are kind of strange words to us. And I know a lot of this conversation is not really sexy because people like to talk about dinosaurs and, and big scary things <laughs> that run around and eat people at Jurassic Park. But <laughs> um, prokaryotes are single-cell creatures um, that have no nucleus. There's no nucleus. Eukaryotes are single-cell creatures that have a nucleus, and they can be as much as 500 times larger than prokaryotes. The prokaryote bacteria hung around for about a billion years, about a billion years, and then suddenly, suddenly, um, the uh, eukaryotes came about, and uh, it, it's it's quite quite remarkable, um, and nobody knows why. There's no scientific theory that explains why uh, eukaryotes came about, but the cells in your body, the cells in my body, the cells in every living thing that is multicellular, those are eukaryotic cells. And they're far, far, far more complex than uh, prokaryotic cells. Um, the difference is, it's like the difference between a, a, a mouse trap uh, with one spring and a Saturn V rocket. I mean, they're not even close. They are so, so incredibly different. So the question is, Richard, why can't 
evolution explain the change from prokaryotic? I, I know these are big words. I like to say, this is how I remember it. Prokaryotes are puny. They start with the letter P, puny. Eukaryotes are enormous. They start with the letter E. This kind of makes it a little. Yes, yes. I do these little rhymes to make, make it easier for me to remember. Um, there is no theory that has ever explained that change. And in fact, Mayer, um, Ernst Mayer, who wrote Evolution Is, um, the uh, biologist uh, uh, that, I, that I cited, he said this is probably the most important single event that has ever occurred on Earth the change from prokaryotic to eukaryotic cells. But let me ask you this. Had you ever heard of that change? No, I had not. They don't teach it. Ah, if <laughs> they it don't does teach not fit, it. you must acquit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't teach it in high school. They don't really teach it in college. They don't teach you about um, all amino acids have to turn to the left, that that's the most unifying principle in chemistry. Um, Nope, they don't teach it. Why? Because they can't explain it. They just, it's sort of like, uh, remember that scene in uh, The Wizard of Oz? Don't look behind the curtain. That's right. That's don't pay right. attention to that guy back there. <laughs> so they conveniently skip it. Um, so, yeah, in fact, uh, bacteria can uh, reproduce sexually, uh, asexually. Okay. All right. So there's no boy and girl bacteria, but the eukaryotes, the enormous single cells, they can reproduce sexually. So how does evolution explain um, a change from prokaryotes to eukaryotes? No explanation. How do they explain, okay, now cells reproduce sexually, whereas they did fine for a billion years reproducing asexually? No explanation, none at all. Um, and then the next change, the next remarkable change, a billion years later, after the eukaryotes came along, now we're about a billion, billion and a half years back in time, uh, the, it was the uh, change to multicellular creatures, okay? So... Um, Again, what produced multicellular creatures? We don't know. Um, evolution says one thing competes against another. Well, if bacteria are competing with bacteria, they did fine for a billion years. And then all of a sudden they change into something with a nucleus. What's the need for that? You know, it's not explained. And then multicellularity comes along um, two billion years after bacteria formed. Um, and uh, of course, without multicellular cellular creatures, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you at all. Right, right. Um, you talk about the three barriers to life that evolution can, can't explain. Have we covered all three or how many have we covered? Um, yeah, we've covered most of them, but let me, let me just... Um, uh, let me just uh, recap here. So um, the first barrier to life is uh, bacteria. Um, how can we explain bacteria coming, uh, coming to pass or 
appearing on earth and and we had talked about abiogenesis how did that even happen how do we explain dna um the the coding in the dna like the computer software and cells no explanation for that none at all the second barrier to life are the uh protists those are the eukaryotes Mm. the enormous um cells okay how do we explain all the complexity how do we explain a uh, a a nucleus in a cell no explanation um uh, mayer said after about a billion years of uh bacterial life on earth the most important and dramatic event in history of life took place the origin of the eukaryotes um we can't explain this how could we explain that eukaryotes uh, reproduce sexually and prokaryotes don't who programmed the dna or how did it get programmed no explanation for that Um, no theory to explain and observe the original sexual reproduction in eukaryotes Um, and the fact that eukaryotes can be as much as um, hundreds of times larger than uh, the puny prokaryotes In, in fact the biggest one they've ever find is found a single cell creature is 35 millimeters across i mean that's huge um and it's a creature that's uh, 800 to 6,000 meters on the on the ocean floor so the third barrier to life is the origin of celled life multi-celled life excuse me about one and a half billion years ago no theory to explain and observe multicellularity now, Margulis tried to explain this, and uh, it's a little bit laughable. Margulis, um, uh, she said that one uh, uh, cell came along, one uh, eukaryote came along and ate another eukaryote, and then it produced multicellularity. Has it ever been observed in the, in the scientific lab? No. Has it ever been substantiated by data or empirical evidence? No. But this story, um, this story is in textbooks everywhere. Everywhere. The one cell ate another cell, and that's why we have multicellularity. It, it's, it's really um, one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And this is taught in the universities. You can easily look up Margulis's theory. Um, uh, and and uh, uh, and see it for yourself. So if if those obstacles weren't enough, then you have the problem that you you talk about in the book, and that is, uh, at, at a certain point, the universe sets this reset button a number of times. These cataclysmic events that wipe out almost all of life on Earth. So, if it happened randomly by accident, it had to happen again and again. Yeah, well, we, you know, we, we talked about the, the, the tree of life and phylogeny and, uh, and you see these diagrams where life just keeps expanding and expanding. But um, in my book, uh, Alvarez's research is in there cited. He's the, he's the one that uh, found the um, evidence for a meteorite hitting um, Mexico and wiping out most of life. Uh, but there have been numerous events like that. Uh, there was another event out of Russia. But what we found, and geologists know this, what we found is that 90% of all life that was on Earth has been wiped out. 
What you see today, the diversity of life you see today is the remaining 10%. Life has not gotten more complex or more diversified. It's gotten less. And we know this because we dig up all kinds of bones from all kinds of creatures that don't exist anymore. Um, so really, the tree of life is really not a tree. It's more like a pyramid. We've had lots of life, lots of diversity, and over time, it's gotten smaller and smaller and smaller as things have become extinct. What, what further uh, proof would you offer up that, that life can't be the result of a random force? Let me, let me offer up Darwin's own words, okay? So I have the sixth edition of uh, Darwin's On the Origin of Species. And here's what Darwin says. To my mind, it accords better with what we know of the laws impressed on matter by the Creator. That's a capital C, the Creator. That the production and extinction of the past and present inhabitants of the world should have been due to secondary causes like those determining birth and death of the individual. So Darwin's pointing to a creator who created the laws um, that exist in the universe. Um, we don't have really time, but there's four laws, the uh, uh, strong and weak nuclear force, electromagnetism, and uh, gravity. Those are universal everywhere in the entire uh, universe, you can't escape them. And then Darwin says, this is the very last sentence in his book on the origin of species. And get this, all you got to do is go to the store and pick it up. They don't teach this in biology. Here's what Darwin said. There's a grandeur in this view of life with its several powers, having been originally breathed by the creator into a few forms or into one. And that while the planet has gone cycling according to the fixed law of gravity for so simple a beginning, endless forms, most beautiful, most wonderful have been and are being involved. So to answer your question, Richard, Darwin is saying that life is the result of a creator. Right, right. Now, I don't know to what extent Darwin's theories were used by academics or philosophers within Darwin's own lifetime uh, used his own theory to deny the existence of, of a creator. Um, but I'm, I'm just wondering if that in, in fact happened, whether Darwin perhaps regretted uh, writing, writing that book in the first place. Now, we don't find any evidence that he actually regretted it. Um, we have his... Um um, we have his, uh, uh, his own journal. Uh, he talks about how he had Christian faith early, but how he lost that faith uh, when he was on his journey to the Galapagos Islands. So I, I would say that Darwin, uh, in terms of spirituality, perhaps was a bit more like a theist, certainly not um, uh, a Christian by any chance. Um, he, he seemed to have some sort of belief in a creator, perhaps an intelligent designer. And I, I think uh, that topic has probably come up in your programs in the past, intelligent design, uh, which is really an agnostic theory. It just says that, um, that uh, what we see uh, in terms of life is the result of a designer, but it doesn't say who that designer is. 
So it seems that Darwin falls a bit more in the category of um, uh, uh, someone who would have today been characterized as, as uh, uh, someone who ascribed to intelligent design. Now, even Crick, the uh, co-discoverer of uh, DNA, um, he was so amazed um, with the complexity of life and the fact that it just couldn't come about by chance. Uh, Crick postulated that life came from uh, somewhere else and, and got shot onto Earth uh, by uh, some sort of rocket ship. Uh, now, that sounds fantastic, but it's in his book, Life Itself, Its Origin and Nature, Francis Crick. Um, so, yeah, I'm not making this stuff up. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and really, my whole approach to this topic has been that science should be allowed to criticize science. The people I've cited and quoted, they're, they're not religious fanatics. They're not even Christians. These people are, are uh, atheists, philosophers, scientists, and uh, even Darwin himself said there's a creator. I've I've read a couple of books about the the big debate in cosmology about the existence of the Big Bang and how it was all it's all wrong and now there's this crisis in cosmology because the Big Bang theory seems to be falling apart. Um, so where why are we not reading about a crisis in evolutionary biology? Well, because it's clear. Um, the National Academy of Sciences has established that evolutionary biology is the fundamental unifying uh, principle in, in all of biology. If there's a crisis in biology, uh, they have to rewrite all their textbooks. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's basically egg on the face of, uh, of thousands and thousands of people um, that teach it as scientific fact. And, um, you know, it may be a bit of... Uh, just hubris. Uh, people don't want to admit that, but more and more scientists are coming out and saying, "Hey, this really, this really does not hold up." And uh, especially as as we discover more and more in terms of the complexity of the cell, it doesn't hold up. The other thing is that uh, <clears throat> they don't have something to replace it with. Uh, intelligent design would be the seem to be the natural replacement for Darwin's theory which is an agnostic theory. It's not a, it's not a religious theory. It just says that there's some creator. Um, and that's what Darwin said in his book. Uh, that Darwin's words have been ignored, and uh, there's just a very, very strong opposition um, to intelligent design uh, from academia. And uh, that can easily be traced uh, in, in court cases all over the country. Evolution Myths, A Critical View of Neo-Darwinism. Jeffrey, how do we get a hold of the book? Uh, yeah, it's on Amazon. Uh, just uh, look for, uh, type in my name, Jeffrey K. Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, and type Amazon, and uh, it'll show up on Amazon. You can also go to my website, which is evolutionmyths.com. And we can also follow you on Facebook and YouTube can also follow uh, on Facebook and YouTube. You'll see those links on my, on my website at uh, evolutionmyths.com. And uh, especially Facebook, uh, I encourage people to jump on there, uh, join the conversation. I uh, encourage people um, to disagree with me. And uh, I, I, I enjoy having a conversation 
Um, I'm really not trying to get people to agree with everything I'm, I'm saying. I'm just trying to get people to look at the criticism that science has of science. Jeffrey, a real pleasure to speak with you again. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, and uh, uh, I look forward to speaking with you again, Richard. Have a great day. You too. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a few moments to share a few details on an upcoming episode. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Coming up next time, part two of my two-part conversation with Bishop Larry Gators on the global vaccine industrial complex. When the fallen angels called Anakin to became Nephilims through their offspring, the offsprings were called Nephilims, the Watchers, the Gregories, which gave birth to the Gregorian calendar. The question is why? What is the end game? It is to replicate a brand new species. And allow me to say this because what I'm about to say, man of God, in answering your question is going to blow away the minds of your listeners. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.